welcome to Word Online. Hello and welcome to series six and episode six in which Jesus walks on the water. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 14 verses 24 to 36 uh, but this incident is also recounted in Mark's gospel and in John's gospel. Well we've just finished looking at that amazing miracle the feeding of the 5,000 so let's now just set the context clearly for this uh, remarkable event that takes place in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Let's go back to series three, just to quickly remind ourselves that uh, series three gave the story of Jesus' opening ministry, his first tour of Galilee, series four, the Sermon on the Mount, series five, the second tour with his apostles uh, appointed and traveling with him. And now in series six, he's traveling around in what we call the third tour of Galilee. And three very dramatic things have happened uh, immediately before the event that is described in this episode. The first thing is the sending out of the 12 in Matthew chapter 10 and other passages that we looked at quite closely at the beginning of this series. So the ministry of Jesus is expanding. The word is getting out to more and more places. All the far reaches of Galilee are being reached as pairs of uh, apostles go and travel from village to village and place to place far beyond where Jesus could have travelled if he was just travelling uh, and ministering on his own. So that's the first major thing that's happened. Uh, and we saw also that another dramatic thing, a quite a different event took place really running in the opposite direction, which is that John the Baptist was suddenly executed by King Herod Antipas at this time. This sent shockwaves throughout Galilee. This news reached uh, Jesus and caused him to reflect because Herod had made this decisive move against uh, the prophet whose ministry was uh, to prepare the way for Jesus. And so the question arose, well, what would happen next? What would happen to Jesus? Would Herod Antipas turn his attention to Jesus and send his um, soldiers after him or, or whatever? Uh, it was really an unknown question at the time. So that was the second dramatic event that happened that we've looked at in series six. And then in the last episode, we saw that uh, Jesus very specifically chose at the time when he heard great news from his apostles traveling around um, preaching, and he heard tragic news about John the Baptist. And linking all the gospels together, we see that he heard those uh, bits of information at a similar time. He then decided to go for a kind of a retreat. He traveled from the west to the northeast side of the Sea of Galilee by boats with his disciples and the aim was uh, to get away from the crowds and to get some rest. Well, we saw in the last episode that did not happen. Quite the opposite. The crowd, seeing them traveling by boat quite near the shore, the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, simply walked or ran all the way around the northern shore to get to the place where the boat landed and they could see where the boat was going to land uh, near the uh, town of Bethsaida. And so by the time they arrived, there was a vast crowd. And this led to teaching, healing, and they gathered on a mountainside outside Bethsaida, and then the feeding of the 5,000 so-called took place. And we noted in the last episode that it was a lot more than 5,000 people because only the men are numbered. And so that crowd could easily have been 10,000 or more. It was a dramatic event, biggest crowd ever recorded by number in Jesus's ministry. And that's the event that immediately 
precedes the situation that we describe here and the remarkable miracle that takes place. But the thing to remember is that when Jesus traveled across the lake with his disciples, his purpose was to get some rest and to get some solitude and to get some time to pray. This had not yet happened because the crowd intervened, but the crowd were dismissed after the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, the crowd was dismissed. They went to their homes and Jesus was able to, for a moment to get the solitude that he wanted. And so that's the context we're now going to look at as we read together this passage. We're going to read from Matthew's account, chapter 14, verses 22 to 36. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there, alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it's I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come out to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognised Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. The Gospels are filled with dramatic stories. And here's another very dramatic story. A story of contrasts and a story of sudden things happening and surprise, and a story of a steep learning curve for the disciples. It's a story that lives in the imagination very easily, doesn't it? First of all, Jesus dismisses the crowd and he puts the disciples in the boats and tells them to go back over to the western side uh, towards Capernaum and Gennesaret and the area where they came from and worked. 
And his purpose was to get away from everybody. There's a huge contrast here. Within a very short period of time, Jesus went from being surrounded by the largest recorded crowd in his ministry to being totally alone and having sent his disciples away so that he was separated from them and separated from the crowd and quite a long way away from his home base in Capernaum. He was literally alone. He was praying. He was talking to his father. And we can imagine that the, the reason for this was the fact that his ministry was going to be changing soon and the fact that John the Baptist's death signalled symbolically and also at an emotional level the real opposition that Jesus was going to be facing in the future. Jesus knew that he wouldn't be touring around Galilee forever. There would come a time when he would need to take his ministry to Jerusalem, his claims to Jerusalem in a fuller sense than he'd done already by just an occasional fleeting visit. He knew that the time of confrontation with the authorities would come. He knew that his popularity would not last and would be tested by the reality of what it is to follow Jesus. All these things would be known to him. He would also, at a human level, probably be feeling tired and emotionally exhausted. The sheer amount of giving that Jesus did in his ministry is almost beyond our comprehension, humanly speaking. Just thinking of the hundreds and thousands of people that Jesus encountered, the sheer pressure of numbers. And we had a very interesting insight into that just before they left the western side of the lake to come over to Bethsaida before the feeding of the 5,000 when the writers record that there were so many people that they could not find even time to eat because people were there all the time. So the emotional exhaustion that Jesus must have felt at a human level is a real factor that lies beneath the words of our text, a human reality that we, we need to engage with. And so he found refreshment and strengthening and empowering in solitude, in fellowship with his Father and with the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit came and re-energized him at a human level. Uh, we imagine these are the things that were happening on that mountainside as Jesus was praying alone during the night. But then something happened on the lake. It is known that the Sea of Galilee, although often very calm, can experience uh, sudden strong winds and storms. We've already seen a severe storm on the lake when the disciples and Jesus were caught traveling across the lake in a storm and on an earlier occasion. We'll refer back to that just at the end of this talk. And here's a second occasion where the wind really gets strong. They're going against the wind. The progress is very, very slow and they're sailing in the nighttime. Now, fishermen, as many of them were, were used to traveling and sailing at night because they often fished at night. That wasn't unusual. But dealing with a storm in the nighttime is difficult with so little visibility. And this must have gone on for several hours. And the disciples must have felt 
that sense of sadness. Where, where's Jesus? You know, he's, he put us on the boat. As soon as we got on the journey, there were a huge storm blew up and he isn't here to help us. Last time there was a storm on the lake, he was in the boat. Admittedly, he was asleep, but he was in the boat and he could command the storm and the winds and the waves and they obeyed him and the storm uh, ended almost immediately and they were amazed. That's what they remember. But now they're on their own. And then comes this very remarkable thing. Jesus was walking on the water shortly before dawn, more literally during the fourth watch of the night, which means between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. That was the time that Jesus was walking. So he'd spent the night praying to his father on a remote hill near Bethsaida, very quietly on his own. But in the course of that night, he then decided to catch up with the disciples. Now, of course, he could have waited till the next morning and he could have caught another boat or he could have walked around the north shore of the lake like the crowd had done in the earlier episode that we mentioned last time. But no, Jesus approaches the boat with very limited visibility, but being between 3 and 6 a.m., uh, early light may be appearing uh, as the sun begins to rise, or even before it rises, that early light, that pre-dawn light uh, may be there. And uh, there's a great shock when they see somebody, an indistinct figure in the distance, and they cry out, it's a ghost. They're terrified, they're spooked, they're very anxious at this point. But Jesus speaks unmistakably and clearly, take courage, it's I, don't be afraid. Now that message, don't be afraid, is such a common communication of God to man as he is beginning to work in their lives. Fear is a very common response that we have. And frequently Jesus says, don't be afraid. Similarly, the angel Gabriel said to Mary when he announced the coming birth of Jesus and the, the forthcoming virgin birth through Mary, don't be afraid. Frequently that call comes, don't be afraid. And here it is again. Then comes a really remarkable and unusual occurrence. Peter's response to Jesus. Peter, we know as impulsive, quick to act, quick to speak, quick to respond. We see that characteristic uh, through his life in a number of different occasions. And here's a very good example. I wonder what really motivated him. I think he was so inspired and reassured by the presence of Jesus that he wanted to engage in the reality of Jesus's presence coming and sort of go out to greet him and welcome him and experience that extraordinary reality of Jesus walking on the water. But as is clearly stated in the text, although he starts out well, he looks down, sees the waves, gets a bit anxious, begins to sink, and then Jesus reaches out to him and rescues him, reaches his hand to him and takes him back 
to the boat. This is an amazing situation where further revelation comes to the disciples about Jesus when they say, truly, you are the Son of God. It's not often up until this point in the Gospels that such a clear statement of their faith in his divinity as the Son of God is made. And John tells us that as soon as they connect with Jesus, they immediately find themselves at the lakeside. And then the crowd gathers very quickly when they arrive back on the western side of the Sea of Galilee. Well, so much for the story. Those are the main elements in this story. Again, what I'm seeking to do in this episode, like in so many, like the feeding of the 5,000, like Jesus calming the storm and others, is to raise our awareness of it from the level of a story that's exciting for children to engage in, which of course it is. It's a wonderful story for children to engage in, but it's a very real story for us. You see, this walking on the water wasn't a mirage. It wasn't an illusion. It wasn't a dream. It wasn't an apparition. It wasn't a ghost. The gospel writers unashamedly describe physical realities that are miraculous. Time and again, they just simply state that something miraculous happens for which there is no natural explanation. We've just had the feeding of the 5,000. We've had numerous occasions of physical healing miracles where there's no natural explanation for the sudden change that takes place in human bodies. The gospel writers are unashamed in this. And so as they describe Jesus coming to the disciples, they're not describing anything mystical. They're not describing anything that's just a dream or an apparition. They're describing a, a physical reality. And uh, Peter saw it as such and physically got out of the boat because he believed that Jesus had the power to help him walk on the water the same way that he was doing. So let's take the event in a very solid, concrete, physical way. This actually happened. Eyewitness accounts uh, feed into the gospel narratives all the times in ways that I've described um, in the beginning of series one. Eyewitness testimony is the foundation for everything in the Gospels. And of course, all the uh, disciples are here in the boat. They're all eyewitnesses of this particular event. Having said all those things, now let's just take a step back from the immediate events and think, what can we learn? What reflections can we draw from this remarkable story? The first one is something quite extraordinary about Jesus. I've mentioned it before and I'll have cause to mention it again, but it's a, a key theme of this passage. Jesus had a real, vigorous, ongoing, sacrificial life of prayer. He depended on having time where he could pray to his heavenly father in a personal, vivid real way and he sought uninterrupted time for prayer in the midst of what can only be described as one of the busiest lives you could ever imagine. Constantly surrounded by people and by human need to have this opportunity to pray and to get away and find solitude took courage, determination, planning 
and decision-making and strategic thinking. But the thing we learned about Jesus, he made time to pray amidst intense busyness and pressure. Now, for many years, I've lived a life which I would describe as quite intense and quite pressurised and quite busy with many responsibilities in many areas. And so this is a real challenge to me. It probably is to you as well, because for most people, life is busy. Sometimes it's a struggle for survival. Sometimes it's huge family responsibilities. Sometimes it's very big job responsibilities. Sometimes it's just the huge amount of time that it takes to do all the things that need to be done in life as we travel around and do things. There are all sorts of reasons. We might be very busy because of church ministry that we are engaged with. But we can learn from Jesus because he was busier than we are. And yet he found time to pray even when he was tired and even when there was pressure from other people. Even when he was popular and successful, he knew that he needed to withdraw and to pray. Now, we're reading from Matthew's account, and I want to just draw a lesson by comparing Matthew and Luke in the uh, discussion of Jesus's prayer life, because Luke, more than any other of the gospel writers, makes a point of identifying the times when Jesus seeks solitude to pray. This occasion, as recorded here, is just one of a number. So what I'm going to do now, and uh, I have referred to some of these before and probably will do again, but I'm going to now just read five different uh, verses from Luke, which describe in five different contexts how Jesus chose time to pray. Luke 4:42, At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place, the people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. So notice that, at daybreak. So he got up really early and went out of the village to find a solitary place. Luke 5.16 is a summary statement. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Luke 6.12 One of those days... Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. This was the moment when he appointed the 12 apostles. But notice he spent a whole night praying to God. Luke 9 verse 18. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And Luke 11 and verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. So this event here on the mountainside near Bethsaida wasn't an isolated event. This was a regular occurrence. Jesus sought time to pray. Now I've discussed this topic before and very specifically when we were studying the Sermon on the Mount in series four. But I just want to again emphasize that one of the keys to Jesus' ministry was his regular times of high quality prayer and fellowship with his heavenly father, 
which refreshed him, focused him and gave him guidance for the next steps in his ministry. Now, another reflection is just thinking about Jesus walking on the water. I've already said this was a, uh, a real physical event. It was a miracle. But I want to say that Jesus did this deliberately. He could easily have walked around the shore and let the disciples struggle along. Uh, their lives weren't in danger at that particular point. It was just a very rough journey. They were tired. They were stressed. He did it deliberately because he wanted to reveal something of his power and his glory. And he wanted to give another lesson of faith to his disciples. He had power over nature. He'd calmed the storm back in Matthew 8, 23 to 27. We saw and parallel passages. We saw that story uh, when the, the storm was calmed. And now Jesus had the power to walk on the water. He did this to reveal something of his power and glory to his disciples. Let's think for a moment about Peter's attempt to walk on the water. People have asked lots of questions about this. Should, should Peter have done this at all? I mean, was there any strict need for Peter to do that? All he had to do was wait and Jesus would come alongside or come on board and uh, speak to them and reassure them and deal with the situation they were in. Surely that is a logical deduction from seeing Jesus walking towards them. Why did Peter step out of the boat? Well, we don't actually know. But I'm supposing that there was a combination of impulsiveness, bravery, excitement and faith. He wanted to connect with what Jesus was doing at that time. I don't think he did anything wrong. Jesus didn't rebuke him for doing anything wrong. What he rebuked him for was lack of faith. And that's interesting. Now, what this event may represent, and we can't be sure of this, is an emerging gift of faith, uh, an ability just to believe God's going to do something remarkable uh, all of a sudden. And for Peter, this was a, a learning curve for him because he was, after all, the leading apostle. He was going to be the leader of the group uh, that formed the early church. He was going to shape that process. So his faith and his spiritual stature and his belief in Jesus was essential. And it was being tested on a number of occasions during Jesus's earthly ministry. Peter was tested in very specific ways. And here is an example. Jesus is encouraging him to keep his focus on Jesus at all time and not allow circumstances to dictate his emotions, his actions, and not allow difficulties to undermine his faith. Now, what an important lesson that is. I'm sure you can see that that's significant for all of us because, you know, we're all in that same situation. I certainly am. I'm often faced with huge challenges of faith and I'm very, very tempted to think this isn't possible. I can't do it. Maybe I need to opt out of this. I wonder if you've ever had any of those kind of thoughts. Well, take heart from this story. Put yourself in Peter's position, but also notice the ending of the story. Jesus corrects him, 
but encourages him to have stronger faith, not to become more cautious. That's an interesting lesson for us. So, in conclusion, God has never left us alone, even when he appears not to be there. This is the emotional experience of the disciples. Jesus had left them, they were on their own, they're in a difficult situation. But he hadn't really left them. He was always watching over them and he came to their help. Now, this is an incredibly important thing for us to really understand at the very depths of our heart. The, the God whom we serve and love as Christians never leaves his people alone. Apparently, he's not active on some occasions. There's no doubt about that. There are times when you don't know what God's doing and you can't feel his immediate activity. Those are the times when our faith needs to get stronger. We just need to trust him that he will intervene and he will be there and he will work and that he is sovereign even over the most tremendously difficult circumstances that we face. And many people listening to this message will be facing difficult and dangerous circumstances. And I want you to take inspiration from this story in your journey to put yourself in the picture and to underline your faith in Jesus, even when you don't know what he's doing in your life, even when you, when you think that things are going wrong, when circumstances have got more difficult. And they'd certainly got very difficult for the disciples quite suddenly. Remember, they'd had a very a wonderful experience of feeding of the 5,000. They were, must have been exhilarated by being involved in such an incredible miracle and just seeing the bread multiply before their very eyes and the fish multiply before their very eyes. And that only happened a few hours before and now they're totally on their own in a storm. Where's Jesus? What's he doing? This is human experience. This is what happens to Christians. This is when we need to dig deep and remember the God we worship. This is when we need to connect with the Bible. This is when we need to connect with Jesus through the Gospels and studying his life and realise this same Jesus who helped the disciples in that uh, terribly difficult situation in the middle of the lake is the Jesus who loves you and cares for you and will intervene in your life. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Martin Charlesworth for Word Online. To find out more, visit wordonline.org.